Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Sidney Powell penned a letter to former President Obama. Fred Flights, president of the Center for Security Policy joins me. Unmasking and Obamagate, fighting China in more ways than one, and James Woods explains Trump supporters. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm going to tell you folks, I don't ever intend to be in legal trouble, but if I were in legal trouble, I would show up at the front door of Sidney Powell with a blank check in my hand. Just tell me what you need, because as I watch her representation of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, it is simply extraordinary. I want to tell you one thing she did, just just a, um, you know, out of the box move, a brilliant move. But you may have remembered Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was fortunately for him, the Department of Justice announced recently they were trying, they were going to drop all charges against him because they had cooked up all the charges against him and there was no basis for them, so they were going to dismiss them. So former President Obama, in a call to supporters, had said something along the lines of, now this is unprecedented, unheard of, this is terrible, and it is absurd. And then supposedly Obama's uh, comments were released, you know, kind of leaked, and I think they were actually put out there on purpose to make Obama supporters realize you know, how serious this was. But what Sidney Powell did, and you can read this on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, you can read this letter that Sidney Powell publicly wrote to President Obama. Very funny. She said, you expressed great concern. There's no precedent that anybody can find for someone who's been charged with perjury, just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you begin to get worried that basic, not just institutional norms, but basic understanding of rule of law is at risk. That's what Obama had the audacity to say. So Sidney Powell writes, here is some help. If truth and precedent represent your true concern, she says, first, General Flynn wasn't charged with perjury, which requires a material false statement made under oath with intent to deceive. A perjury prosecution would have been appropriate and the rule of law applied if the Justice Department had prosecuted your former FBI director, Andrew McCabe. So she's putting it right back at President Obama. FBI, if you had gone ahead and prosecuted former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe for his multiple lies under oath in an investigation of a leak only he knew he caused. She goes on, she makes numerous other really, really good points. It would seem your wingman, Eric Holder, is missing a step these days at Covington and Burling, indelibly marked in his memory, and one might think yours, should be his motion to dismiss the multi-count jury verdict of guilty and the entire case against former U.S. Senator Ted Stevens. Within weeks of Holder becoming Attorney General, he moved to dismiss 
the Stevens prosecution in the interest of justice for the same reasons the Justice Department did against General Flynn. Egregious misconduct by prosecutors who hid exculpatory evidence and concocted purported crimes. Great letter, I won't read it all. One of their last thing, uh, quick last things in this first five today relating to the Flynn case. Um, there's actually more and more talk about whether or not the uh, judge in the case, Judge Emmett Sullivan, who has, we talked about last week, he's appointed another former judge to essentially step in and make an argument in this case in the, when the pending motion is the Department of Justice moving to dismiss the case, saying, we shouldn't have brought it, there's nothing to it, we were wrong, please drop charges. And the judge, part of the clearly get Obama, deep state, get this man however you can, Judge Emmett Sullivan, was not going to go along with the only right answer any judge in his shoes should ever make, which is to grant the motion of the Department of Justice to drop the charges. So we have Sullivan bringing somebody on, but actually great, great uh, legal arguments being made all over the place. Uh, one being that this is really unconstitutional at, at its core because Article 2, the executive branch, uh, doesn't do the job of Article 3, the courts. The courts is the judge, is the judge, that's his job, Article 3 of the Constitution, he's the judge over this case. He doesn't have authority to step into the executive branch, Article 2, and say, hey, by the way, all you executive branch people, I want to have one of you come over here and make this argument in front of me in the courts. It's an unconstitutional order to start with. Last thing, closing out the first five, there is actually also a, a pending case, which or a case recently ruled upon by the Supreme Court, making very clear, again, that Judge Sullivan had no right to do this. The relevant case, 9-0 decision out of the Supreme Court, relevant case, U.S. Being, and I'm, I'll, I'll just say U.S. versus Smith. I'm not sure I pronounced the first word. The Supreme Court reversed a ninth court ruling striking down a criminal statute involving immigration, it was overturned because instead of adjudicating the issues raised by the parties, which is what the job of the court is, the Ninth Circuit panel invited groups to brief them about a defense the defendant had never raised. Again, there's Article 2, Article 3. You stay, as they say, stay in your own lane. I don't know. There's actually argument that uh, the Department of Justice could seek a writ of mandamus against Judge Emmett Sullivan, tell him you have got to drop this foolishness of trying to litigate against Lieutenant General Michael Flynn in this case. But in any case, I think this is, uh, I mean, if my biggest lesson that all of us should draw from this drama of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's case being in front of Judge Sullivan is this. The depth of determination on the American left to destroy President Trump, to destroy Lieutenant General Michael Flynn as a vehicle to destroy President Trump, knows no bounds. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. So I mentioned at the start of the show we have a great guest joining us. He's joining us by Skype, so we'll see him in just a moment. Uh, he, I believe, has joined me on the show before. Um, he is the president and CEO of the Center for Security Policy. Fred Flights, uh, long history in the intelligence community world, so we're going to hear a lot about that. But I want to welcome to the show, Fred Flights. Hello, sir. Hey, Debbie. Good to be here. Good to see you, sir. Well, you have been writing a lot recently. So first of all, I really, I know you took over Center for Security Policy, I'm not sure when it was, over a year ago, I think now. How long have you been president of, of now of Center for Security Policy? Uh, I would have been president a year in January. 
Before that, I worked for President Trump at the National Security Council as, as executive secretary. And I had other careers in, in my 25 years of the government with CIA, DIA, state and the House Intelligence Committee staff. Yep, but now you're uh, with, back with Center for Security Policy. I'm so glad you're there. So I want to just jump Thank in. You. you wrote a uh, piece that I thought was really um, powerful. And I want to just have you talk about wh what you're getting at. But the, the piece was titled Obamagate, How the Obama Administration Apparently Weaponized Intel Agencies for Political Attacks, which I know many people have been saying, but with your background, you really know in detail what that means. So can you describe how, what, you're, what you mean when you say President Obama weaponized our intelligence agencies for political attacks? Well, this was in foxnews.com. They asked me to write this piece because they said there's a lot of confusion over this unmasking concept and what it means. Under the law, our foreign intelligence agencies aren't supposed to spy on Americans. But if they collect again, let's say to listen to a phone call of a Russian and an American is mentioned, they're supposed to redact that name or mask it. Now, a senior official can ask for the name, but this person has to have a good reason. The justification has to go to NSA, and only a small number of officials are allowed to approve it. Now, we know from the House Intelligence Committee Republicans that Trump, uh, Obama officials asked to unmask hundreds of Trump campaign and transition officials. And we learned last week that 39 Obama officials made 53 requests for General Flynn's name after the 2016 election until January 12th, which is just extraordinary. Now, the point I was making is that these requests are unusual. They don't take place very often. And there's a clear pattern here of Trump uh, uh, campaign and transition people being targeted. Now, I've been attacked viciously on the internet today where people say, well, how can you know who the mass name is? Unfortunately, Debbie, the system's pretty easy to beat. You can usually tell from the context of the intelligence report who they're referring to. Sometimes they'll be identifying information, like they may refer to the person as person A, an official with a presidential campaign. That's the kind of thing that would be in the NSA report. And I think that, you know, it's illegal to spy with intelligence agencies without a warrant on Americans. But if you were to ask for intelligence, let's say against a particular Russian ambassador, then go through all the results and look for likely meetings with Trump officials, and then have those names unmasked and leak them to the press, you found a way to spy on your political opponents without a warrant. And that's what happened here. It is a truly astonishing story. And you know, I think that I have always had the greatest respect for our institutions in America. I love the idea of justice. I love the idea of rule of law. I love the idea of separation of powers. All those, those profound concepts are supposed to underlie American government and under, cause us to trust the FBI and the DOJ and the NSA and, and all these agencies because we have that underlying trust that they're being used based on those principles and for right reasons. So in, in this case of the 39 of the 53 people who asked, who essentially 39 officials in the Obama administration asked for 59 unmaskings, you're saying that led to the person, the identified person being unmasked as Lieutenant General Flynn. Is that right? Well, this list that was released last week and, and Rick Rennell, the acting director of national intelligence, 
he was behind it being listed. They were a list of 39 people who asked for Flynn's name. Now, this is important because we know from uh, uh, Congressman Nunes, the top Republican of the House Intelligence Committee, that many, many other Trump aides were targeted for unmasking too. But these 53 requests were just for Flynn's name after the election until January 12th. And I mean, it's obvious that this was an effort to use our, our very capable foreign intelligence services by an outgoing administration to spy on officials of an incoming administration. It, it, it was just an appalling abuse of our national security agencies. Do you know, I will say that some people who are just, I mean, I, I am with you all the way. Some people who are skeptical would say, well, they just happen to get caught this time. This stuff probably goes on all the time. We just don't know about it. In your experience, is that the case? Is this, this kind of thing really happen all the time and that, that unfortunately just this time, Obama's team happened to get caught? Well, let me first raise a, a, a related point. The left is very worried about this. They're throwing up a lot of false arguments. They're saying, oh, well, you know, eight to 9,000 unmasking requests go in a year. There's many more under Trump. There's legitimate reasons to unmask. Counterterrorism, counter-narcotics. Trump has a much more aggressive foreign policy on, on, on Russia and Iran. Unmaskings are not inherently illegal. Now, they're also trying to say, well, the law wasn't broken here. Well, that's actually true. It wasn't illegal to do this. I think it was highly unethical. And when you say they got caught, I think that's the big point. And they got caught because Congressman Nunes beat the bushes and found the evidence that, of, of all these unmaskings. And let me put this, put this in context. I was John Bolton's chief of staff at state. He asked for 10 names to be unmasked in four years. His boss, Deputy Secretary of State Armitage, asked for 104 years. Samantha Power, Obama's ambassador to the United Nations, asked for 260 unmaskings in the final year of the Obama administration. I can't imagine why the UN ambassador would need to know so many of these. And we know seven of them were for Flynn's name after the election. So I, I, I think this stinks, Debbie. There's, there's something wrong here. I could not agree more. I, you know, your numbers you said a moment ago, Samantha Power in a one-year period asked for 260 unmaskings. And, you know, maybe this is, I, I have a vague memory of this, and, and, and I don't know whether you're aware, you will know what I'm talking about, but wasn't there some, didn't it become obvious that in addition to all this unmasking request, there was a change made in the toward the end of the Obama administration, which permitted names that were unmasked to be more widely spread among the intelligence agencies? Do, do you recall that? There were two changes made in sharing intelligence in early 2016 and in very early 2017 that allowed more people to make these requests. At least that appears to be the intent. You're not the person who asks for an unmasked name is still not supposed to share it with anyone else. That name is supposed to be released exclusively to the requester. But I understand these changes allowed more people to make these requests. Yeah. Okay. So that was that was two changes. More people could make them. Yes, that's what I understand. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember reading about that. Just thinking, it just seems like one of the steps you're setting to you you're spreading within Washington more knowledge about the people you're trying to undermine. I, I, the, the political, I guess, it's the political use 
of the legal tool of unmasking that seems to have happened here. Is that right? Is that fair? I, I, I don't know how, I think that that's true to some extent, but also there was much broader sharing of intelligence that would have mentioned uh, uh, the Trump aides in other ways, CIA and NSA and NFA, FBI reports. And, you know, you don't have to do the unmasking to know that this is a likely Trump aide. I mean, in, in December of 2016, the Russian ambassador is probably going to be, be meeting with Trump transition officials. So if you ask to see Ambassador Kisiak's, um intercepts of his communications, you know, more likely than not, a lot of them are going to be Trump aides. It's simply amazing. I would turn to another topic because when we've been on this periodically in this show, but there all of the time, and I would just say all of the time where there was an ongoing investigation by the FBI, the, the Mueller investigation, and was there Trump-Russia collusion, I always said politically, even during that time, there was, I mean, my sense was Russia would rather have Hillary be president. I, I, was, I didn't even see the reason people would assume it made sense <coughs> that Russia would want uh, Trump to win because Trump is a scary, unknown entity to the Russians. He's kind of, he's still unpredictable. And, and, and yet Hillary was the one, she was, she was not tough as Secretary of State. She's more a leftist, like they're leftists. So I always said the, the whole premise doesn't even make sense. But what's come to light recently is it appears that John Brennan, that head of the CIA, had some role in becoming aware of intelligence that suggested that, that Putin was backing or more favoring Hillary over Trump. And yet he suppressed that. Can you tell us about that? Yes, I broke the story for Fox News Opinion on April 22nd. And it was based on a briefing I got from House Intelligence Committee Republican staff. They did a long investigation of the intelligence community's analysis of Russian meddling in the election. Basically, they were investigating a January 2017 intelligence, committee, intelligence community report that found the Russian meddled and meddled to help Trump win. Now, I didn't believe that, and you didn't believe that, and what they found was, in fact, there were three strings of intelligence. One, that the Russians didn't care who won. They just wanted to mess with our democracy. I don't know how reliable that information was. Two, that there was information that the Russians wanted Trump to win, but this information was very weak, and intelligence analysts did not want to include it, but it was included over their objections by John Brennan. And three, there was very strong intelligence that the Russians wanted Hillary Clinton to win because she was a known quantity. And they wanted Trump to lose because he was an unknown quantity. And they were worried he would bring anti-Russian hawks into the government with him. This strong intelligence was excluded by Brennan over the objections of CIA analysts. Now, this is in a report that has been sitting at the CIA since September of 2018. And I hear there's a good chance that Acting DNI Grinnell will release it maybe this week. Any idea, any plausible answer John Brennan would give for what you just described, that his that over the objections of others, he kept that information out of, of, the, the related to, to uh, the idea that Russia actually wanted and preferred to have Hillary win? What would be his defense of that? Well... You know, I've never seen someone so angry and so hateful as John Brennan. I, I don't want you to go on, on, on Twitter to see his tweets and his attacks 
on on Trump, but unhinged is 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 putting it mildly. The, the attacks he makes on Trump, this hatred of Trump did not begin on inauguration day. And I think it's clear that Brennan was campaigning against against Trump throughout 2016. That he tried to push the Steele dossier into intelligence analysis, into FBI requests for FISA warrants to destroy Mr. Trump as a candidate, and then to destroy his presidency after he won. So I don't know how Brennan's going to explain it. I'm hoping that John Dorham and his investigation will come up with some cl- conclusive evidence of how Brennan was key to the Obama administration's efforts to weaponize intelligence to destroy Mr. Trump and his campaign. I could not agree more. And honest to goodness, I think it's just amazing to think the the times we're living in, the very high-level official, the head of the CIA, apparently politically, we know we're way till all the facts are out, but apparently politically operating, to many people's view, orchestrating all of this effort to vilify President or candidate Trump, President Trump, undermine him. I mean, is there any parallel in American history you know of, or your involvement in the intelligence agencies, any parallel to this political maneuvering that seems to have occurred starting at the top of the CIA? Well, you know, according to official Washington, the mainstream media, our intelligence agencies are non-political and don't meddle intelligence in intelligence. That isn't true. I'll say they're less political, but it's always been hard for them to stay out of politics. When I was working for the Reagan administration, intelligence officers worked against Reagan. When uh, Clinton and Obama was president, they bent over backwards to promote his policies, uh, to to promote Obama's fraudulent nuclear deal with Iran. That's why we need strong leadership. The president has to put really good people on top of these agencies to keep the bureaucrats honest, to remind them to keep their politics out of their work. I think Dan Coats was a disaster as director of national intelligence because he did not do this. I think John Ratcliffe, as our new director of national intelligence, he uh, uh, he's going to follow up on what Rick Grinnell started and try to flush politics out of our intelligence community. I most certainly hope so. It's just a scary thought because really the the era of Obama was in our country the most uh, leftward leaning, or in my perception, leftward leaning we've ever gone. And the idea that when you serve as president, you do fill high level positions in all sorts of agencies. You fill them in uh, justice, DOJ, state, uh, a variety of agencies. And if, the, and if you fill them with people who are on your, your more leftward agenda, your left wing agenda, and then you have a president come along who's more of a pro-America agenda. I mean, I, I don't know how you, I don't know where I'm going with the question is, how do you root all that out? What do you do as president to root out that, all of the thinking that is antithetical to the policies you, the new president, want, that, that you ran on, that you promised the American people you would do? What do you do about all these high-level people in these agencies who are pushing things in the wrong direction? Well, I first want to tell you that the president knows this problem. I've, I've had the privilege of actually discussing with him, and I know he wants to, he wants to fix it. Uh, I know from my experience in government that Democrats are very good at burrowing in, getting their political appointees to be, main, to be named careerists, and promoting careerists to senior positions who will remain and continue to push Democrat policies after they leave. You know, when a new president comes in, you have to do a house cleaning. You have to get rid of the political appointees, and you have to find the careers who are put there who are going to oppose everything that you want to do. And look, I, th- I think 
Donald Trump has been a great president in most ways. In, in staffing, there's a lot that, he, that I think he should have done, but he realizes that, and he's moving very quickly to address the staffing problem. I think at the beginning he was given some bad advice by, by some people who maybe he shouldn't have listened to. Rex Tillerson at State, I think, was a disaster. So was H.R. McMaster at the National Security Council. But I think things are a lot better now, and, and I have very high hopes for the second term. I am so glad to hear that. I have a second, uh, that second term part, definitely have very high hopes for that, the second term. And also, you know, I've always thought it's, it's interesting when you're President uh, Trump, you know, he didn't have a 20, 30, 40 year history in Washington, in the State Department, in the House or Senate. He didn't have all the deep tentacles of connections. And so you, I mean, you have, he had some allies or people who were supporters he could bring in, but that was a big thing for him to overcome. Uh, no political background, elected in a monumental election, uh, really a, a course-correcting election in America, course-correcting away from radical leftism back to the American uh, playing field or on the American course. And that was probably an overwhelming task to think about when you get there. How, who are all the people you, got, you have to try to replace and, and where are they burrowed in? Where are they hidden? So I, I give them a lot of uh, leeway or something about the idea. You don't even know where to start and you got to get started doing your agenda. But I am thrilled to hear, as you've spoken with him, that President Trump is on to this issue very clearly and is going to try to take steps when he's reelected. That is excellent news. And he's moving on it now. But I think there, there will be big, big changes in the second term. Love hearing that. Fred Fleiss, thank you so much for taking time to join me today on America Can We Talk. Great to be here. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you, Fred. Okay, friends, that is a great patriot. I mentioned I didn't do a long enough introduction. He has had a fabulous career, um, and it'll be up on our website. There's a bio of him up on our website, americacanwetalk.org. Served under, under Bolton. Hey, you know, I want to get, I know we're done with him, but just think of those numbers before I turn to my next topic. The kind of the numbers on masking requests. Bolton made ten requests. John Bolton in four years. Samantha, Samantha for her last name. Samantha worked for Obama. Made two hundred sixty in one year. These are people who use our intelligence agencies. Samantha Power use our intelligence agencies for the political agenda, and it is wrong, and it is it needs to be just. Um, clean out as much as we can. But I'm going to turn and talk about this next topic. Speaking of cleaning things out or maybe not cleaning things out, amassing an Obama gate. Um, just today, or just yesterday rather, um, Attorney General Barr announced that as in, with respect to the investigation that is ongoing inside the Justice Department and the FBI, the investigation of you know, how did this whole Trump-Russia collusion hoax get started? How do we even get started with this crazy and, you know, what was the genesis or the predicate, or been his words? And so he has uh, Special U.S. Attorney John Durham looking into it, Attorney General Barr overseeing, big investigation, big news out recently, of course, that President Obama was completely in, in part of all of it, very well aware uh, before even the investigation, before even the um, first time that the FBI interrogated Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, you know, Obama's all over it. Big meeting in the White House on January 5th. I mean, Obama's in the middle of this and everyone can see it. But Attorney General Barr announced yesterday, uh, he first actually was quoted as saying that he did not think that either 
uh, former President Obama or former Vice President Biden uh, would, would be indicted uh, in this case. He's now saying they won't even be investigating. I mean, as he was clarifying his remarks, he said not they won't even be investigated. So I want to spend a little time talking about that today. I know a lot of people, myself included, if you listen to my show all the time, I'm always talking about it. If you have the rule of law, it has to apply to everyone. You cannot make exceptions. You cannot say, well, rule of law, except, of course, the ruling elite, or except, of course, you know, if you're a particular political party, or if you're part of some, I mean, you, you can't say the rule of law doesn't really apply uh, to certain people and still say you have a rule of law at all. There are many people deeply disheartened by Attorney General Barr's words yesterday that saying, you know, there probably won't be any investigation, and certainly not an indictment of either President Obama or Vice President Biden, even though they were heavily in the middle of everything that the DOJ did to Lieutenant General Michael Flynn. So I'm with the idea all the way of the rule of law. I have to say, though, if that's going to be the case, I mean, I do hear people, even the conservative side, saying we don't really want to start on the path in America of having a former president indicted and a former vice president indicted or investigated or all that um, because that's kind of what banana republics do. That's kind of what, you know, these tin pot dictators do. That belongs in the KGB world, not in America. And, and so people say, you know, you got to leave those two alone. I'm not sure I buy that because I think, you know, if you're talking about a minor uh, violation of law where you didn't, you know, fill out a form correctly, you didn't give adequate number of days notice of something, you, you know, even a FARA violation. You can imagine some violations where you just say, you know, it, it, yes, this past president did that, but it's not worth a prosecution. This was a coup attempt. What happened inside the DOJ and the FBI was a coup attempt, nothing less. The prosecution, the persecution of Lieutenant General Michael Flynn was part of that effort, part of that persecution effort. It was part of the effort to destroy President Trump, part of the coup. It was one step along the way in the intended coup to take down President Trump. So the idea that Obama maybe wasn't the grand orchestrator, it appears that former CIA director John Brennan was a grand orchestrator, but Obama's aware of it, he knew about it, he was in meetings where it was being discussed, he never said, hey, wait a minute, this is America, we don't do this. These are very troubling things. Having said all that, if, we're, if that's where we're gonna be in this country, if, if Barr is gonna say, look, we're just not gonna go around investigating and prosecuting former presidents and former vice presidents, then the next step has to be, then the answer has to be at least that every single thing uncovered in this investigation by Special U.S. Attorney Durham, by Barr's investigation, by everything they're doing in Washington, every fact must come out. The American people may not be entitled to have the justice served prosecuting of Obama and Biden if indeed they violated federal law, but they do deserve all of the facts. They do deserve to know the whole story, the whole truth. They do deserve that. They deserve to know this was your political party. This is what the Democrats did. This is what O'Biden did. This is what Samantha Power did. This is what Comey and McCabe and the whole lineup of characters did. 
we're entitled to know all of that. And I really hope, despite this concern that you know we're not ever saying, Barr is saying we're not going to investigate and indict the former president or the former vice president, I hope we can find the will to say, okay, maybe not that, but every single thing has to come out. And in the case with respect to President Obama, and the term has now been used Obamagate or Obama-Bidengate, when people roll their eyes at that, in fact, you're already hearing people on the left trying to say, oh, now we got the Obamagate conspiracy, all these crazy conspiracy theories on the right, they're all to be ignored, they're all ridiculous. You, you need to be able, as a patriot, as a defender of this country, a defender of the right idea, the rule of law, and a, a defender against the abuse of the national intelligence agencies that happened under President Obama and his team and his term, you need to be able to understand what it means to say there was Obamagate. You need to be able to say that, at least in some basic terms, where you, you know, more and more details will come out, but the idea of Obamagate, the idea that without any predicate, without any basis at all, the Obama-run Justice Department, the Obama-run FBI, used a hoax dossier, the entirely concocted by Hillary Clinton's uh, hired firm, Fusion GPS, so Hillary Clinton hires a smear manufacturing firm named Fusion GPS, hires them through her law firm, Perkins Coie. They hire Fusion GPS to come up with garbage to make up stuff about candidate Trump. They come up with a Russian dossier filled with lies and concoctions and conjectures. Nothing substantive, as the Inspector General report said, nothing in that report, that dossier, had an independent basis of verif verification. There were nothing relevant, nothing salient in it, had any justification. In fact, that cooking up of a false charge against President or candidate Trump, the use of that dossier to get FISA warrants to spy on American officials, Americans, under the guise of, we think maybe they're involved with the Russians, maybe there's some foreign influence here. That's why we have to use the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. This was an entirely a cooked up coup. That is the premise of Obamagate, that what they did inside the FBI and the DOJ is nothing less than using lies they knew were lies to cook up a prosecute, first spying on Trump affiliates, Trump campaign affiliates, and then using that to cook up a two and a half year, multi, multi, multi million dollar investigation by Bob Mueller and his team when everybody involved, all these FBI agents, it was like 42 or 24, 42, whatever it was, FBI agents full time digging into this. All of them are trained enough to see what the heck was happening. They can see it's a cooked up ruse, a coup, and yet they dragged the country through it for years with the goal of undermining President Trump's agenda to restore America, to bring America back off the brink of leftism and back on course for being a country rooted in liberty, a country 
rooted in the ideas of America. This was a leftist attempt by the Hillary team, later the Fusion GPS and dossier, the Fusion GPS paid, for, paid by the Democrat National Committee. All of that, all of that big picture must be considered of what Obamagate is. It, Obamagate is not because he sat in one meeting on January 5th and maybe should have spoken up because people were telling him about all the spying they were doing. That's not Obamagate. It's the entire era of corruption that happened under the Obama presidency. You heard Fred Flights in the previous interview talking about it. The idea that the agencies were filled with leftists by leftists in Washington, Obama and others, filling these agencies in careerist positions so you can't get rid of them, burrowing them into places where they are still pushing the left-wing agenda. And you can't, when President Trump comes along, you can't get rid of them. These are people who've worked against the United States, worked against the voters of America, worked against the agenda the Americans chose in the 2016 elections, and they're still there doing it. Obamagate is a massive conspiracy to undermine the very identity of America, the very existence of America as a country rooted in the promises of the Declaration of Independence, the promises of the Constitution. It is an effort, it was an effort, an ongoing effort to undermine in any way possible a candidate who was going to dismantle all of the evil President Obama put forth in our country. So the unmasking stuff, the spreading around of the unmasking idea, the sharing, the more and more people, you know, sharing the um, unmasking and who, what the names were and who they, and spreading it more broadly. This was all part of the massive complicity inherent in the Obama administration to says, we're going to fight against somebody who dares to run for president, who is going to do something, anything opposite of the agenda of the radical left, as was put in place under President Obama. Unmasking, Obamagate, it's all part of the big picture. We're going to destroy this guy who's daring to challenge the left-wing effort to take down this country that was the eight years of the Obama presidency. I want to hear a quick story about fighting China. You know, this is kind of a little bit off track, but, you know, in the grand scheme, we're in this coronavirus era. More Americans are alert for the first time that, and we're still not, we didn't get to the bottom of it yet, whether the coronavirus was just a mistaken emission uh, from, you know, the fish, the uh, wet markets, and just, you know, something that unintentionally transferred to humans, whether it was cooked up artificially in one of the Wuhan bioweapons labs, whether it was the, the Wuhan labs working with the virus that came from the, from the wet markets, where everyone, you know, all sorts of experts spout off and say, oh, no, is this, not that, you're crazy. No, is this, not that, you're crazy. We'll get to the bottom of it. But the end of the day was China knowingly allowed this to be released, hid it from the world, communicated with the head world health organization to keep it quiet allowed it to spread all over the world they have tremendous liability but that's not even the worst thing about china and to be clear i'm not talking about the chinese people the chinese people are the country of china filled with good people who want just would love to have freedom who want a good life who are not members of the communist party when i say the virus the wuhan 
virus. It is the fault of the Communist Party of China, Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, the evil, repressive, totalitarian Chinese Communist Party holds responsibility. And in America, in addition to everything related to the virus, even before the virus came along, more and more Americans were talking about the dangers in this country of the fact that we have been submissive to China as they continue to try to grow. They want to become the singular superpower in the world. They are determined to become the superpower. They're using their Belt and Road Initiative to spread their control with technology and other means all over the world. Their 5G Huawei technology. China has a very overt, they don't even hide it anymore. They want to become the one single superpower. America's been taken advantage of by China in all sorts of ways. Our trade policies, up until the time President Trump corrected them, our trade policies involve extremely unfair trade policies, forced many factories, many businesses out of America over to China because we can't even afford to be here anymore, have the manufacturing occur in America. We had Chinese stealing secrets from the way that they, when they build things in their country, they're stealing trade secrets or they're stealing, stealing technology. We, had, we just let it go for decades. We're finally, finally stopping that under President Trump. We're not, we're, and, and I'll tell you a big piece that people are concerned about, what I want to get to here is in America, every time we have a Chinese company that is on our stock exchange, they don't follow the rules that every other company, American company on the stock exchange has to follow in terms of disclosure and transparency. And every time we help a Chinese company grow and get more power and get more money and get more customers, we are enabling the repression of the Chinese Communist Party. We are helping the totalitarian, repressive Chinese Communist Party. This is another step that President Trump has taken to try to help our country be freed of that problem, freed of that effort. So in Washington, again, the Center for Security Policy, same place that Fred Flights, who we just talked to a moment ago in this show, um, they have been central in trying to push the idea that they did not want to have uh, funds, pension funds in America invested in Chinese companies. So we had an effort within China to push to have, and we have sadly in America, American companies pushing the investment of our pensions, our public pensions of all sorts of kind of employees, pushing those pension funds to invest in Chinese companies, which is the same thing as sending a financial donation to the Chinese Communist Party. So Center for Security Policy and others banded together. President Trump intervened to prevent the federal Thrift Savings Plan, TSP, from investing a, an estimated 4.5 billion, B as in boy, billion in Chinese Communist Party companies. Trump went along with this and said, you know what, we're going to stop. We're not going to continue to invest that kind of money in in companies that essentially you can in, from with China you can say well those are just you know they're not really government they're not all government run government owned yeah they are they may I know China was trying to say oh yeah we have private ownership it's not all every company in China is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party and Chinese Communist Party gets benefit 
from how financially well the company does. So President Trump stepped up, just said no more of it. We're not going to have the, he prevented the, the federal thrift savings plan, the TSP, for investing in money in the Chinese Communist Party. Lots of other things that he did, but I want to get on to, so we had actually with China, other efforts to shut them down. FBI, we have Attorney General Barr, very, very committed to try to stop um, espionage and um, disloyalty. FBI arrested a researcher for NASA who allegedly failed to report his ties to China. And one last thing in closing out this bit about China today, uh, I just want to tell you this amazing thing. You pay tax dollars, we all do, tax dollars, and tax dollars, sadly, in Washington still go to fund public broadcasting stations. So PBS, public broadcasting, has received millions of dollars in federal funds partnered that, so PBS partnered with Chinese foreign and agent to create, to create a pro-Beijing film. Please think about that, a pro-Beijing. We're using our tax dollars so PBS can make a film touting the greatness of Beijing and China and communism. This is not okay. One last quick story for I wrap up for today. So James Woods, you know, he's a very entertaining guy on Twitter. He just has fabulous tweets out. So James Wood had a tweet out. I wanted to share it with you. It's kind of comical and also how President Trump responded to it. But the tweet I sent to Matt the Wonderful by James Woods, here it is. And so he's got a picture of Trump. He says, let's face it. Donald Trump is a rough individual. He is vain, insensitive, and raw. But he loves America more than any president in my lifetime. He is the last firewall between us and this cesspool called Washington. I'll take him any day over any of these bums. Trump 2020. And then Trump's response, Trump retweets it and responds, I think it was a, I think that is a great compliment. Thank you, James, to which James replies, and indeed it is intended as such, Mr. President, rough men stay the course. Treachery, however, is the most dangerous enemy a leader can face. Even Caesar succumbed to it. Be wary, stay strong. God bless Obama Gate. And that, my friends, is my show for today for America Can We Talk. At the end of the show, I always turn and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today in the story of Sidney Powell penning a letter to Obama. Please go read the whole letter. So good. Our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, you can read it on the homepage under show, drop down list of links. Sidney Powell sends a letter. Posting on her website, Sidney Powell penned a complete dismantling of Barack Obama's ridiculous posturing about Michael Flynn committing perjury and getting off scot-free. This is the American spirit at its finest, exercising freedom of speech with seriousness, the forgotten private citizen's role of speaking truth to power, and she is winning, even if there are setbacks along the way. Powell's aggressive defense of Michael Flynn is saving the rule of law in America. Sidney Powell deserves a Presidential Medal of Freedom for what she has done. And on unmasking in Obamagate, the January 5th, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office and related unmaskings are receiving headlines. But Obamagate is much bigger and covers a longer period of time. Americans must not allow Obamagate perpetrators to escape accountability. Pressure on Attorney General Barr and Durham to deliver justice must be unrelenting. Even if our American tradition argues against criminal pursuit of Obama and Biden, what they did must be laid bare to the American people. Radical leftists must never again deceive their way into the presidency. Vote R across the board in every state. 
for every office in 2020. And on fighting China, I didn't even get to all these other stories on fighting China, but the U.S. should never have facilitated U.S. investment in China without imposing on Chinese companies a legal obligation to comply with the same public company laws that U.S. companies comply with, consistent accounting standards and consistent rules of disclosure, build trust. Waiving such requirements is foolish and an invitation to fraud and loss. That was the next step that President Trump has taken. President Trump is right to fight back on unwise policies of prior presidents that favored China to the detriment of U.S. companies. Chinese spies and other infiltration in U.S. academia, U.S. media, and U.S. industry must be brought under clear limits and pro-America control. And finally, James Woods explains Trump, and actually he explains Trump's supporters. Twitter can be a sewer of filth and hatred, the worst of anonymous society, but at its best, it's like the picture of 280 characters that's worth a thousand words. Actor James Woods is a Twitter master, wit and insight built for the short quips. And because we're running long on time, I won't read it, but that is what he tweeted. Let's face it, I will read it. Let's face it, Donald Trump is a rough individual. He's vain and sensitive and raw, but he loves America more than any president in my lifetime. He is the last firewall between us and this cesspool called Washington. I'll take him any day over any of these bums. And 63 million deplorables, that's a number he's followed and counting, said, amen. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America. And if you're on social media, any form of social media, you know what to do. Like, subscribe, share, comment. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I love speaking up for America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth About America.